right. The book of Acts, chapter 17. We are going to begin reading in verse 16. The book of Acts, chapter 17, and verse 16. When you got it, say so. And it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the, in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be, proclaim, be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all, to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one, blood, from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their, their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art in man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them was Dionysus, and the Areopagite, a woman, from, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. And Lord, I just pray that even as we embark upon this new series, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, open our ears. Help us, Lord God, to grow in the revelation of who you are. I pray, Lord God, that we would respond to you in faith. I ask you that you would anoint my lips, Lord God, and anoint our hearts and our ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And I pray, Heavenly Father, above all things, that you would be glorified and that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. In Jesus' good name we pray. And everyone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand really quick, please, and just keep it up until the ushers get it to you. We have a lot of ground to cover here this morning. Um, and so 
You want to make sure you get those outlines. You can follow along in the beginning, the intro of the message. You can also take some notes. I think that that's important. Um, no matter how good your memory is, you won't remember everything I say, that's for sure. And there may be questions or things that you have that may come up. And so this is a good opportunity for you to do that. And as I've been telling you since the summertime, you can utilize these outlines, the notes that you get. It's my belief that we should all be disciple makers. Amen, somebody? And so we should be making disciples. We should be helping someone grow in their faith. We should be leading people to Jesus. That's what should be happening. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so as a disciple, as you grow, what I give you when I get up here and preach is not something that I necessarily got from somewhere else. It's what I get from the scriptures. And so as I study the scriptures, as I hear from God, and obviously I read commentaries and things like that, what I do is I share that with you. And so my part in helping you grow as a disciple in Jesus is simply sharing what I learned. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. The things that you're learning, the things that you're hearing, I encourage you to share those with someone and utilize these outlines and these notes to be able to do that. And so today we are beginning a new series and this series is called Core 4. And so every Sunday when we get, when um, Pastor, Pastor um, Chad gets up here and he says we're committed to loving God, growing together, reaching others and serving, those are the four things that are the core identity of what a disciple is, right? It's the core values of what a disciple is, is what I would say are the core values of Faith Doma Fellowship because we really want to be a church that makes disciples. And so what we had and I'll say this again at, at the end of the um, introduction, but what we had was we have a 36-week mentoring program presently that you have to go through in order for you to be able to serve. And so 36 weeks, for me, it's not necessarily a long time, but for a lot of people it is. But nonetheless, I don't think that we have to go through 36 weeks to prepare someone to be able to serve, right? I think that we can get them through and get them ready to serve. And so what we've done is we've condensed this by a few weeks, 20 to be exact. And so we're going to be able to help you to grow. But the other thing that we're... That, that that was a real issue for me more than the length of time it was that I really feel that what we need to do is we need to understand what it is that we're saying every week right like every week we get up here and say we're committed to loving God we're committed to growing together we're committed to serving we're committed to reaching but my question is do you really understand those and more than anything are you really committed to those things See, because it's one thing to learn a slogan or to learn a saying. It's another thing for you to be a person that says, man, I really am not just repeating something that everyone else is saying or something that I've heard weekly, but this is something that I'm committed to. I've said this before. If you look in the back, everybody turn to the back real quick. You see over there, over John's head, I know it's painful to turn around sometimes, but right there, as you're walking out the door, there is a sign that says committed to. For those of you that weren't with us in our older building, um, in our older building, our building was, it, it, was, it wasn't sideways, but you used to come in through the side. So so instead of that being the back door or the, the, back, the back of the church, that was the side of the church. When you walked into the church, we had that sign there that said committed to, and then we had four banners that said committed to, loving God, going together, reaching other, and serving. Well, obviously, in the decor of this place, that didn't fit, right? So what do we do? We didn't want to throw that away because that's pretty cool. So I said, you know what? I want to put that up there, and my hope is that every, every time you walk out of this service that you realize that you're walking out and you're, and you're reminded that you're committed to some things. As a disciple of Jesus, you're committed to certain things and there should be things that we're committed to so that's what we're talking about in this series so and if you look at the outline here with me 
There is no greater question than who is God. That's the reason for the video that we played. It's because I want us to get the mindset and get the understanding that our God really is greater, right? Like we really should stand in awe of who God is. It should be a continual awakening and understanding that our God is greater than any situation that we have. I love the analogy and, 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 and I love what, um, you know, Rob Guzman Jr. communicated and, and how Anna shared that, that it's like, you know, in the middle of the week, right, you get to have this understanding, you know, you get to have this mindset of, man, you know, I get to be reminded of who God is and not just, you know, in the, in the same breath that I'm reminded of who God is, I'm also reminded of who I am. See, that's why it becomes so important for us, because as you come to understand God, then you get to know who you are as well. And so that's what we want to be able to do here. And so there's no greater question than who is God. And so I want you to think about that. Whenever you're asked the question, who is God, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What is the mental picture that comes to your mind? Maybe it's a picture that you saw growing up as a kid. I know when I was growing up as a kid, um, you know, my, my family, I guess they had some kind of Catholic background or something like that. But nonetheless, we had this one picture, and I can't remember the name of the picture, but y'all know it. Um, it's it's, it's um, a picture of Jesus, not the real Jesus, okay? But he's got like one hand like this, and then he's got a heart in his hand here or something like that. I don't know. It's like a peace sign with a heart or whatever. But, you know, nonetheless, it's like a real sacred, holy picture, right? And like you walk. And so growing up, you know, when I would think about Jesus, like I was like, Jesus saying peace to me, and he's got a heart in his hand. I don't know, right? But nonetheless, you know, we have pictures, not necessarily that picture, but, you know, some of us have different pictures of Jesus. Like some of us think of Jesus, and, or we think of God, and automatically we think of a cross, and, you know, we see him hanging on the cross. or You know, we have different pictures. But this becomes the most important question that you can answer is who is God? Why is that? Because the answer to that question influences every area of our lives. Not only does it influence every area of our lives, but it also influences all of the decisions that we make. You see, who you think God is determines the decisions that you're going to make. The decisions that I'm going to make, the way that I'm going to live is going to be determined and, and based upon who God is, right? When people don't think about God, you know what they do? They live however they want to live because they are their own God. Hello. But when you think about God, right, like me growing up, you know, I, I knew my, my grandmother, she was the one that was a Christian at the time, and she was instilling in me. I, I, I shared this before, and I shared again with one of my, with one of my nieces um, a, a few years back. My grandmother was in the house. I was at her house, and my niece did something that was, you know, sinful. She was disobedient. And I'll never forget, my grandma was like, yo, you're going to go to hell for that. My niece was like eight. All right, that sounds rough, doesn't it? But can I tell you something? I don't know if my grandmother told me I was going to hell for stuff when I was, when, when, as I was growing up, but I knew when I was living like a heathen, I mean, I was living, I mean, I was living la vida loca, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> I knew I was going to hell. Hello, somebody. And I guess it came from my grandma. But the point is, I, I, I thought about God, right? I had a certain picture of God in my head. And what I realized is this. What my grandmother was saying, whether her delivery of it was appropriate or not, I don't really have an issue with it, you know, I, but the point of the matter is this. Whether her deliverance of that truth was, was right or wrong, the truth wasn't wrong. Are you here? 
The truth is, sin separates us from God and takes us to hell, and that's just the reality. But here, and, and so when we look at that, the first paragraph there tells you our view of God affects every area of our lives, influences every decision we make, and most importantly, determines where and how we will spend eternity. Our culture, we read this chapter here um, in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Our culture is much like that of Athens, the culture we live in today, filled with philosophies, ideologies, and combating worldviews. And check this out, derived from hearts that know there is a God, but are unwilling, hear me, unwilling to yield to the one true God manifested in them, clearly seen in creation. And you can find that in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And truly, although not fully, revealed in Scripture. So let me say that again. What, what we have here is we have, and I'm not going to read it again, but what we have is a culture that is filled with people that have different philosophies, different ideologies. We live in a culture where, you know, you have a bunch of people that, I mean, they say God all the time. I mean, people are talking about God like he is their BFF. Hello, somebody, right? I mean, they talk about God like they and God are down. I, 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 I won't even say it, but I watched this one video the other day. I'm not going to repeat what's on the video, and you guys might have seen this because it's probably gone viral on Facebook. And it is this pastor and his wife, and they're rapping, okay? And they're, and, and they're talking about Jesus Christ is my, and I'm not going to say the word, but if you saw the video, you know what I just said. That has to be the worst video ever, all right? First of all, the word they use, it means fool. So they're saying, Jesus is my fool. That's ridiculous. Jesus is no one's fool. Jesus is no one's boy. He's not, he's not your homie. Hello, somebody. Jesus is God Almighty on the throne of glory. He is a holy God. Oh, yes, he died to tear the veil so that way you and I could be in relationship with him for sure. But he doesn't want us to bring him down to our level. He wants to take us up to his level. He doesn't want us to start to feel like he's just some cool dude we hanging out with. It's not like that. God is a holy and righteous God. And so the question is, who is the picture that comes in your mind when you're thinking about who God is? Is. Because this becomes important for us because how we're going to live our lives to, to bring them glory. But see, the, the way that these people were in these days, just like our days, you got a bunch of people, they talk about God like they know him. And then you have other people that don't believe in God. And so they talk, to, they, they talk about God like he's ridiculous. Y'all know I pray when we get on those prayer calls together, I pray at least once a week for Bill Mayer. You know why? Because I believe, I am praying to God that that dude gets saved. You know why? Because he is such a vocal atheist and hater of God. He will be amazing for the glory of God. God. But let me tell you something. Hell is going to be seriously hot for that man if he makes it there. I'm just saying, because he blasphemes God over and over and over again. And it's because something happened to him. I don't know what it was, but something made him think the way that he thinks. And so these people in Athens, they were the same way. They had philosophies, they had ideologies. But here's the thing that you got to get. The reason why people are like this, according to Romans chapter 1, see, don't let the world tell you why people are the way they are. Let the word of God tell you why people are the way they are. See, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23 tells us that God reveals himself in our conscience and in creation. And we know that he's God, but we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because we love sin, we don't want to obey God. You want to know what? Bill Merritt, straight up. The reason why he's, is because he loves sin. That's why he's a hater of God. Are you here? 
That's the reason why anyone hates God. That's the reason why anyone wants nothing to do with God. And so here we have Paul dealing with these people. Like I said, for the next 16 weeks, we're going to deal with, in four-week segments, we'll be going through what will replace our 36-week mentoring program. So if you're here... And you're looking to be a vision carrier of Faith Dome. You've been here for a while. You know, you're not able to make it on the Wednesday nights. Guess what? Next 16 weeks, I'm going to hook you up. Hello, somebody. The next 16 weeks, if you're here for the next 16 weeks, I'm going to sign your name on something and say, hey, you, they, they're ready to serve. Because you know what? For the, for the next 16 weeks, you are going to hear what we believe. You're going to hear what it is, the core four. And, you know, I love, I, I, you know, and I want you to know this has nothing to do with common core. It has nothing to do with that. Okay? As, as I was sitting down, I was meditating on, you know, just thinking about, you know, how we build people up. The one thing that I realized is how important your core is to your overall stability. Are you here? Now, for some of you, you know, some of you like to work out. Some of you hate working out, you know, but nonetheless, y'all know what working out is. Glory to God. And, you know, when you work out, you do something that's called build muscle, right? And so what you can do, there are certain exercises that you can do. Like you could go um, into a gym and you could literally sit down on a thing called a leg press. And you could press thousands of pounds of weight and your legs would get super yoked and super strong. I mean, you have legs that are like, one of your legs is like both of mine together. Hello. It's pretty big. But nonetheless... You would be big there. You could also sit on another machine and you get your shoulders and your chest and everything big. And you know what? If you had to pick something up over your head, you wouldn't be able to do it. You know why? Because your core would not be strong. See, the, the, yesterday I had the opportunity to, to participate in a CrossFit competition. It was the first one that I ever did was that, that was like that. It's a pretty awesome experience. I came in third place with my team. I got to say that. I got to say that. We came in third. My first one. It wasn't because of me, though. Let me just humble myself right quick. It wasn't because I'm amazing. It's because my partner was amazing. I'm going to let you know right now. Homeboy did like, I don't even know how many pull-ups that was, but he didn't even let me do one. I was like, you go, bro. I'm good. I'm here for support. I'm praying for you all the way through, glory to God. So, and then nonetheless, we had the first workout. It was an overhead squat. And so I'm not going to demo this for you, but just picture it, okay? I'm not demoing because my core is a little weak right now, but, and my legs as well. Everything is sore. But anyway, you know, overhead squat, right? And so what you got to do is you got to hold the bar over your head, and you have to fully squat and stand up. You got to do that three times. And can I tell you something? The most important part, yeah, you got to have strong shoulders. And look, I have a coach right here, and she can attest to this. You got to have strong shoulders. But you know what our coaches say most of the time? Stay tight. Stay tight in the core, because you get weak right here, and guess what's happening? You're going to buckle under that weight. For us as Christians, it's the same mindset. You know, we want to get, get all strong in certain areas. Like, I want to be a great singer. I want to be great at this. I want to know this stuff. I want to be awesome at, you know, defending the faith. You know what the whole thing is here, church? We have to be strong in our core. Our core has to be right. The, 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 the thing that keeps us solid, the thing that keeps us grounded, the thing that keeps us protected, you have got to be strong there. And so core four is that. It's the core values of what I believe every disciple should be committed to. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we come to know, oh, I'm sorry, we come to understand God better as we delve into the scriptures. We come, to, we come to understand God better as we delve into the scriptures. And here's the big idea before we move on to that point. It is this. To love God is to know God. The first thing we're talking about today is the object of our affection, which is God. So loving God, we're talking about loving God. For the next four weeks, we're going to deal with this, right? Who God is. We're going to talk about who he is this week and next week, looking at his attributes. Next week will be a lot more in depth. Um, you know, Anna's not going to take 20 minutes of my time, so I have more time to work with you. 
right? I love you. You did a good job, Anna. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, that won't happen next week, right? So, you know, we'll get a little bit more in depth and stuff. But here, here's what we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with the object of our affection, part one and part two. And then the next thing we're going to deal with is we're going to deal with the motivation for our affection. We'll talk about the gospel, the good news, and the bad news in its fullness. And then the last one that we're going to deal with is we're going to deal with the demonstration or the measure of our affection. We're going to talk about how it is that, you know, I say I love God, but what does that look like? How can I really say that I love God if it doesn't show in certain areas and certain, and certain actions in my life? But here's the deal. To know God is to love him. You will, and, I, and I will say it like this. If you know God, you will either love him or hate him. Are you here? There's not going to be any in between. It's going to be one or the other. You are either going to love him or you are going to hate him. See, people don't really know him when they're kind of in between. Hello. When they're kind of like walking on the fence and they seem to know him, it's, they don't really know him. And so Paul here, he does some stuff. And as we review the argument of the Apostle Paul before the Areopagus or this also called Mars Hill or the Hill of Eros, he lays out for us a pretty solid foundation for our understanding of who God is. If we pick up here and we look at verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. I believe, um, you know, it's in some versions it might say superstitious, it, you know, fearful, things like that. But what it's talking about is that they were, they, they were people that had a certain type of fear of God. And the reason why they, they did is because of what? Because God has shown us that he exists. And because he exists, there's something inside of us that wants to do what? Wants to please him, right? Because you want, because here's the deal. When you understand that there is a God, you realize that there is a, another source of whatever is called blessing in your life, right? And so if you don't appease that God, guess what? You don't walk in blessing. You didn't have to hear a prosperity message to get that. That's just common sense, right? Like the one who makes the rain, the one who makes the sun, the, you know, the one who controls all of those things, you want to make sure that that God is happy. And the way that they prove it is, is found in verse 23 when Paul goes and he says, For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. To the unknown God, because they were, you know what, they, they, they worshiped all kinds of deities over there, okay? They had all kinds of gods, but they were like, you know what, just in case we missed one, we're going to make an altar to him. Just in case we miss one of these gods, we're going to make an altar to him, just so that way he doesn't feel left out. Hello? And what Paul says, he's like, look, I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. I'm going to tell you who this God is. And he gives him a few things about him. The first one, you can write all of these down, and I'm going to unpack them for you really quickly here. The first one is God is the creator of all. So that's the first thing that we see here as Paul unpacks this. He, 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 he reveals these things to them. The first one is God is creator of all. The second one is God is sustainer of all. So the first thing is he creates all things. The second thing is he sustains all things. And then the third thing here he, said, he shows us is that God is sovereign over all. So he creates it all, he sustains it all, and he runs it all. Right? So he creates it all, he sustains it all, he runs it all. And then the last one is this, is that God is merciful to all. Amen. So the beauty of it is, is that he creates everything, sustains everything, runs everything, and then he offers you mercy when you don't want to bow to his ruler, to, to his leadership. When you don't want to bow to his sovereignty, he offers us mercy. And so let's look at these really quickly. So the first one is, and I want you to know this, the first point here, God is creator of all. That is the longest point of all of these points that I'm going to talk about, okay? I'm just, I'm just giving you fair warning here. And I'm going to read a lot from this because I, I, I'm, reading, I'm reading a book. 
as I'm preparing for this. It's called Who is God? And it's by Mark Driscoll. And so it really helps to, to put some things into perspective. I know I got some smart people sitting in front of me. And so I'm going to give you a few scriptures to write down just to show you the internal communication of the scriptures regarding God being the creator of all. The first one is the, is the easiest verse in the Bible. It is Genesis 1-1. That's the first verse there. You know that in the beginning, God, right? I've said this before. The Bible starts off assuming God. It doesn't start off saying, well, God started like this. It doesn't start off like that. It says in the beginning, God. The Bible communicates communicates that clearly. But then you continue throughout the scriptures and you find that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the scriptures are consistent in communicating that God is the creator of all. And so Genesis 1-1, you're going to have to write these down quick because I'm going to send them out there fast. Psalm 146 in verse 6. Okay. Isaiah verse 4, I'm in chapter 40 and verse 20. Isaiah 45 and verse 18. And Jeremiah 10, 12, as well as Jeremiah 32, 17. John, I mean, Jonah, I'm sorry, Jonah 1, 9. Zechariah 12, 1. Ephesians 3, 9. Colossians 1, 16. Revelation 4.11, and the last one is Revelation 10.5 through 6. Now, if you're interested in me sending you an email with this outline, I would do that for you, okay, in case you didn't get all of those. But those scriptures there, they all communicate internally from the scriptures. So if you're in a, in a conversation and you want to share with someone or you want to grow, and I, and I would encourage you to look over these scriptures, bask in the, in, in the word of God and see how God communicates that he is the creator from beginning to end of the scriptures. He shows us that he is the creator of all things. But here's the thing. Many philosophical arguments, and here's where I begin quoting, many philosophical arguments have been proposed to prove the existence of God. Among the most popular are the arguments from, from, from the highest ideal, which is the ontological argument, intelligent design, which is the teleological argument, first cause, which is the cosmological argument, and time, which is the Calum argument, and lastly, morality, which is the axiological argument. So these are all different arguments that people have proposed throughout time to try to, to, try to prove the existence of God, right? All of them has a different component of what, you know, it is that proves the existence of the Lord. And so probably the most popular and biblically supported one, when I say biblically supported, I mean there's internal biblical support of this, it would be the teleological argument or that of intelligent design, okay? And so all of them have something that show this, and we're going to do a little at the end, I, you know, I'll bring them all together. But the one thing is this, is that intelligent design would be the one that probably has, you know, it's, it's probably the most popular, you know, the one that talks about when you look at, I can't remember the, the, the guy's name, but he's the one who gave the idea of a watch, and he said, if you looked at a watch, you would never say it just came to be, right? Like, if you, any, anybody ever opened a watch? Raise your hand if you ever opened a watch. Ever seen a watch in the inside or something like that, right? Just a couple of us. But the point is, when you look inside of a watch, I mean, somebody had to take some time to put that thing together, right? Somebody had to be in there. I mean, how, how many of y'all change your own batteries in your watches? Probably not many, because many of you haven't even seen the inside of a watch. But nonetheless, you know, some of you wear a watch and things like that. But when you look at the, this, you know somebody and not just somebody, but somebody smart. Hello. 
Somebody who thought, who thought through some stuff, he is the one who created this watch. And so it's the idea that there had to be an intelligent design. As you look at creation, you start to see intelligent design. And so just to give you a couple of scriptures here, the, um, Psalm 119.11, this speak, I mean 19 verse 1, Psalm 19 verse 1, it talks about the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky and uh, above proclaims his handiwork. And so that's just an example of one of the scriptures there. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, I quoted that earlier, God. God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so we see the scriptures support what? The universe being created by God. We see another um, support for us, for our bodies. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, it says this, For you, speaking of God, form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And so we see that the Bible gives us a couple of examples right there just for intelligent design, right? There's more, but that's just a couple of them. So we see the universe, the Bible says, created by the Lord. We also see that we physically are created by the Lord. Here's something that's beautiful. Um, um, science continually increases our understanding of the wondrous complexity of the body. Check this out. Including the fact that just one human DNA molecule holds roughly the same amount of information as one volume of an encyclopedia. Is that not crazy? One, one, one DNA molecule, molecule in you holds that much information. So, so science also says, man, there had to be something more than just a big bang that happened. I'm just saying, right, that, that's the thing. So in conclusion, when you take all of these ideas and you bring them together as, as one case, right, because here's what I want you to know. Intelligent design by itself is not enough to prove the existence of God because there's other things in the scriptures that show you, you know, God being there. You know, the cosmological argument, there's other things in the scriptures. But when you look at all of these arguments, because obviously these arguments came from people who were trying to argue for the faith and trying to argue for the Lord. And so God gave them each a piece to the puzzle here. Um, and what we understand is this, is that the various arguments of God's existence reveal what? That God exists, that he is the intelligent designer, the powerful cause of all creation, apart from time but at work in time, and he is morally good. And so what's the result of this when we understand that God is the creator of all? The reality is if you really believe in a creator, you live your life in awe of him and you walk in humility before him. If you really believe that he's the creator, if you really believe that he is the one that created us, if, if you really believe that he is the one that sustains us, then we live our life differently. See, because I don't want to just give you a bunch of information this morning. I want you to think about how should this information impact my life? How should this information change the way that I live? Because even though this would be something that we'll be teaching, it doesn't mean that we just get a teaching and we walk away and say, hey, I got a little bit more knowledge today. No. How do I live out the truths about God, okay? So the next one is that he's a sustainer of all. And so we see that clearly. Now let's look. We're going to look at these verses together again here, all right? Let's look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Did you see that there? He gives to all life, breath, and everything. I know you thought that you just woke up this morning and you just started breathing because you're amazing. And that's what you thought. You thought, you know, you got out of bed, you know, and you just, some of you, you know, you, you rolled out of bed. You know, some of you like laid there and said, I don't want to get out of bed today. Hell, that's why some of y'all were late today. Glory to God. Y'all got to tighten up on that. Anyway, we'll move on from there. But, you know, we feel sometimes, right, that, you know, we, we just, we breathe because we're awesome. No, you don't breathe because you're awesome. You breathe because God's awesome, right? You breathe because he gives you breath. 
He allows you to breathe. He sustains you. He is the one that enables you to have anything. He is the one that sustains everything that we have. God gives life to all and all of creation, whether, whether, whether we like it or not, whether we admit this or not, depends upon him. This reality should bring us great comfort. Why? And that we realize God sustains us and all that we have been entrusted with, we are not the end all of what he has, but God is. In other words, everything is not about dad providing because you know what? God is the provider. Everything is not about mom doing it. God is the one who does it, right? It's, it's about God. It's about understanding that he is the one who sustains us in all things. See, that's a liberating thing. I don't know, I don't know about you, liberating for me. Because I realize that, you know what, it's not, it's not all upon my shoulders, right? It is him. He is the one who sustains, so I can trust him. When we pray at 4.30 in the morning, I go through the names of God. And I do it not to do it religiously. I do it repetitively because I pray that we really get those down. I, listen, I need to be reminded every day of who God is. Because if I'm not reminded every day of who God is, I forget and I try to be his. I try to be who he is. I try to do his job, right? I try to make myself righteous. I try to, you know, provide for myself. And what does that mean when I say provide for myself? That means that I just sit in the house and say, okay, Lord, provide. No. Hello, somebody. But I try to act like I'm the one that's doing, I'm the one that's making things happen. Listen, we need to humble ourselves. Hello. And we need to recognize that he is the one that sustains everything that we have. And so this should keep us aware of God. That God only, now hear me when I say this, we should be aware that God only supplies that which he ordains. Hello. And that's big. Because when I look at God being a sustainer, what I realize is that, see, we want to ask God to bless everything in our life. And God is like, I didn't ordain everything in your life. I didn't tell you to have everything in your life. See, some people, it's going to hurt. Asking God to provide for that car, he never said I gave you that car. Just saying. Asking God to provide for that home, he never said, I, I never said I wanted you to, I know some prosperity preacher said that, but that wasn't him. That wasn't God speaking through him. I know you thought it because he was standing behind a pulpit and he was spitting out some scriptures and you thought, well, that's got to be the word of God. Listen to me. Every scripture needs to be aligned with these scriptures, all of the breadth of scripture, not just a few scriptures. Hello. You see, we want God to sustain. Oh, let, 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 let's go there since we already went to cars and homes. Now, if you're married, this does not apply to you. Disclaimer. But there's some folks in relationships, God bless that relationship. I never called you to that relationship. Now, if you're married, hey, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen? You got to work with that one. But hey, his grace is sufficient. His grace is, and don't be thinking you're in the middle of marriage like, oh, well, you know, I heard a bunch of signs on the way. Nonetheless, you missed the signs. You missed the exit. So now it's time to ride together. Hello. You know, ride or die. That's what it said. Till death do us part. I'm just saying, right? I know you don't want to hear that, but the point, I'm not going to give you a pass and be like, well, you saw the signs before. Listen, I've had people sit down with me that are married be like, man, God spoke to me a bunch of times. I went to, one guy told me I went to Puerto Rico and the Lord spoke to me prophetically and I still came back and got married. And I said, yeah, you did. You still came back and got married. So you are now married. And so you can't go back to Puerto Rico. Hello. <laughs> You can't go back to the prophetic word in Puerto Rico. You disobeyed the Lord, right? And so now you're married. But anyway, the point of the matter is, right, 
If we're in a relationship and God provides. See, so for young people, for all y'all that are single in this place, get on your face and seek the Lord. Say, God, listen, I don't just want him to be cute. I don't just want her to have curves. Hello, somebody. I want them to have you. And that way, when I know that we come together, we're going to work through stuff. But here's the deal. The deal is we just want, you know, the one that's the cutest, the one that's got it. Hold on a second. All of the wrong stuff, and then God bless this. Okay, I'm going to bless a mess. Hello. That's what you want God to do, right? And so ultimately, it is us understanding that he only provides for that which what? He ordains. So it keeps us what? On our face before him. The second or the third one is God is sovereign over all. Say that with me. God is sovereign over all. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. It says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined, look at this, has determined their pre-appointed, say pre-appointed. So he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries, say boundaries, of their dwellings. And so what we see here is this teaches us that God rules over all of his creation. So here's the deal. You and I are born and we live exactly where God wants us to. Are you here? You know, we often talk, I remember, I haven't said this in a long time, but, you know, um, you know, going through the scriptures, you know, we always think, man, I wish I lived in the days, you know, when Peter and Paul and I could have, you know, Peter and the apostles and could have walked with Jesus. Look, man, you live in the days God wants you to live in. They lived in their days, God appointed. He pre-appointed. He pre-appointed those times. He put boundaries on those times. He said, you were going to live between here and here, and he wants to bring glory through you and I. That's what he says. He is sovereign. Out of one blood, he creates all men. And so it shows us that he's sovereign. And he may, now listen to me, he may allow evil but doesn't author it unless it is his judgment against sin. In other words, when calamity comes and it's because of sin, then you can say, well, that was God because he was doing what? He was, he was judging sin. That's a different thing. Like when Sodom and Gomorrah, when, you know, the fire and brimstone came down, that seems kind of evil, doesn't it? I'm just saying, that seems kind of rough. I mean, it, just, it, seems, it seems like calamity. It seems like something bad. It's not wicked, right? It's something that's bad. I mean, fire and brimstone is not good anywhere. Are you here? Like, there's, there's no place for fire. Well, maybe, maybe. Maybe like in a grill. Like there. Like fire and brimstone might be amazing there. Like, I, you know, like that would probably be the only place that it would be good. But on your head, not good right? In your city, not good. Being thrown on your home, not good, right? Like it's not good there, right? But the reason why that came was because of what? Because God is a bad God? No, because man was sinful. That's why that happened. He's a just God. He's a holy God, right? And so we see God brings his judgment in those areas. And so what we see is that God is sovereign. No one and nothing is outside of his sovereign plans. Now see, understanding God's sovereignty should keep us aware that our lives have their greatest significance as we surrender ourselves unto his purposes. That's a beautiful thing. See, when I understand God is sovereign, see, I can try to fight God's sovereign will for my life and, and try to do things my way. You know, we talked about relationships, homes, cars, things like that. I can try to do stuff the way I want to do it. But what I realize is that my life finds its greatest significance. My life finds its greatest satisfaction when I surrender to the plans and purposes of God. Can I tell you something? There's a book out there. And it's a marriage book. And I, and, and I believe the subtitle is, what if, what if marriage was meant to make you holy instead of happy? Right? Sacred marriage, right? So that's the subtitle is, you know, what if marriage was meant to make you holy instead of happy? Can I tell you something? Happiness and holiness are not enemies. Are you getting this? The problem is when you put happiness before holiness, that's the issue. 
When it's all about you being happy and you don't want to walk in holiness, but what you'll come to realize is as you and I commit to being holy, you know, we experience happiness. Or for you spiritual people, joy. Because I know some spiritual people in the room are like, Bishop, I don't get happiness, I have joy. Listen, <laughs> study your Bible and understand this. Happiness and joy, they're interchangeable words. What the, 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 the question is, where does it come from? Is it an eternal source of happiness or is it a not eternal source, you know, a temporal source of happiness? That's the question. But, you know, for you spiritual folks, right? I want you to get this as we move on from his sovereignty. We must realize God's sovereignty never negates man's responsibility. And whenever I talk about God's sovereignty, I feel like I have to say this because people can sit back and be like, well, he, he predetermined this, he predetermined that, and so I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to hit you know, cruise control and see what happens. That's not what the scriptures teach us. Here's what I want you to get. What we need to do is that this is a great mystery, that man is responsible why God is sovereign. Nonetheless, we must live in submission to his sovereignty, but also in recognition of our accountability before him for all of our actions. You see, we must live a life understanding God really is sovereign. He really is in control of all things, and all that is truth, but I cannot just walk around and just live how I want to live, and everything's just going to be okay. There are plenty of people who experience consequences in their life that are not God's will for them, and it's not God's perfect plan, and not what God wanted for them, and it's simply because they disobeyed his will. That's it. Simply because they disobeyed God's, God's perfect plan for their lives. So again, he's a sovereign God. And the last one is this, God is merciful towards all. He is merciful towards all. Let's look at verse 27 to verse 28. And it says this, so they shook, so, so, so that they should, well, let's, let's just read from verse 26 because it all, it, it flows together better there. It says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him though he is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are, all, for we are, for we are also his offspring. God is merciful to all. See, here's what happens. God shows his mercy towards us in that he reveals himself through our conscience and in his creation. That's called general revelation. Everybody in this room, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, your conscience shows you that God exists. See, before I came to Jesus, before I was walking with Jesus, the fact that I knew things that I was doing, I've always said this, I would, I, when I was you know, living out as a heathen, one of the last things to go, and when I say to go, it's like the last thing that I, that just took, that, that I went like over the deep end, I used to curse like terribly, right? But the one thing that I would never do for a long time was I would never use the Lord's name in vain, right? That was the one thing. Like, I was like, okay, I can curse everything else, but not that. Because I knew I was going to hell. I'm just saying. But there, there came a point in time that I was just like, well, you know, forget that. I'm going to just start doing that too because it sounds, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. You know why I was thinking about that? It wasn't just because my grandma said you're going to hell. It's because my conscience there was something at work inside of me, and that is a divine deposit from God. Everybody on the planet has that inside of them. That's one of the arguments for God's existence. Why is it that everyone, I mean, you can talk to anyone, 
right? You can talk to As a matter of fact, you know, you've heard this, and I'll use this one. I won't even use the murder one or adultery because, you know, that's kind of whatever. But you know what? Even, even the worst heathens, you know what most of them hate? Even if they're the worst at this, they hate this. They might be the biggest liar, but they hate being lied to. It's mixed up morality. But you know what it is? It's that everybody knows that lying is wrong. How do we know that? Our conscience. It's something that God puts inside of us. So God is merciful and putting that conscience in there to agree with his word. But then God also generally reveals himself through what? Through creation. Everybody gets, you know, viewed to the same sky, the same types of trees, not necessarily the same ones, depending on where you live, the same oceans, the same waters. You know, you see things that are beyond your understanding. And so God mercifully does that. But you know what he also does? He also reveals himself more clearly. And I said this earlier, not fully, because God is, is, is uncertain searchable so you can't know him fully but you can know him clearly in the scriptures are you here and he reveals himself in the scriptures in the gospel showing us that man is sinful that man is separated from him he shows us this and so not only does he put this conscience here inside of us that bears witness right it shows us that man we are sinful we do have issues in our lives but the bible shows us that that sin that we know is wrong you know what it's not just enough to feel bad about it it's not just enough to know that it's wrong but that sin separates us from god and if you are separated from god then that means what that means that you will spend an eternity separated from him in hell that's a scary picture hello that's part of the story we'll deal with that more more in a couple of weeks but the next side of the story is what it is that God comes to this earth because our good works can never get us to him so he comes to this earth he puts on flesh and he lives a perfect sinless life dies in our place so that way he can do what so he can tear the veil of separation so he can address our sin once and for all and he offers us eternal life through his son Christ Jesus hello that's a beautiful thing. And that's what Paul calls these people to do. He tells them, he said, God winked, right? In one, in one version, he winked at their ignorance, but now he calls all men to repentance. So after Paul goes and releases this dissertation about who God is, what he does is he shows, look, God is the one that created it. God is the one that sustains it. God is the one that runs it. And he offers you mercy to get right with him. Because he doesn't want you to spend eternity separated from him. He doesn't want you to spend the rest of your days apart from him. He wants you to know him and be in a relationship. He doesn't want you walking around worshiping this idol, worshiping this idol, looking to that God, looking to this belief system. He wants you to know that he is God and he is God alone. He is the God that is, that is the one who you have this altar to the unknown God. He's the God that, he, that, 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 that you have been searching for, that not knowing who he is, but this is the God of all creation. And so understanding God's mercy should not only keep us humble, but it should keep us worshipful and it should keep us grateful. So because I know God is merciful, because I understand the beauty of the gospel, the reason why I worship, you know, we, we, we sing this song, you know, Good, Good Father, and we won't sing it probably for a few more weeks here. But, you know, when I sing that song, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I could care less about preaching when I start singing that song. You know why? Because I just want to keep singing that song all day long. Because it just, it just sounds, to me, I'm just saying, just for me, it's so awesome just to be reminded that, man, I am loved. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the part that I like the most. I'm saying, if I could just repeat that part, I would, but I don't. But here's the thing. By myself, I do. But just to, be know, to know that I am loved by him, that I'm loved by him, that he is, he's a good, good father. But that, I, listen, because I know how unlovable I am. Hello? You ain't got to tell me. Glory to God. 
You don't have to remind me. I know the thoughts that go through this brain sometimes. I know, you know, the moments. This morning we were in prayer here today. And some of y'all, man, some of y'all, in, in the worship time this morning, y'all, glory to God. I, I got ugly this morning. And I, and I apologize to y'all because I got ugly. It was ugly. I was really ugly. I'm just letting y'all know this. I wasn't like going crazy. It wasn't like Godzilla in here. But, you know, it was ugly enough. You know, it was, you know, came out my face a little bit. Glory to God. Listen, I know you know, and then my son, right, he was in here, we, we, we were about to pray, so he's holding my hand and my daughter's hand, and he feels like he's in the Holy Ghost or something. I don't know what he felt, but he's like, you know, rocking, like, you know, you know how you, that prayer rock, you know, you got, when you, when you pray, you rock, you know. Well, my son does, everything he does is intense, so he's like rocking, like five feet, you know, area, and he like hits the communion, and I'm like, y'all pray for me. Pray for my son that he lives through these next few years of his life, because this boy, but, you know, the thing, listen, so when I sing that, you know, I, I, I'm like, God... I thank you because you don't love me because I'm so lovable all the time. You love me because of who you are, because you're a good, good father. And look, I mean, I, I love the whole song. You know, when, when you sing that part, you know, you're perfect in all of your ways. I, I, I want to sing that like a billion times, not just a thousand times. Because sometimes in our minds, like, I think that we think that God is not perfect in all of his ways, if we're just honest. Like, sometimes we look at our kids, we look at our marriages, we look at our finances, <laughs> we look at our family, we look at friends, and we look at our works. We, we, we look and we're like, man, God is not perfect. Listen, if we really thought, can I tell you something? If we really thought God was perfect in all of his ways, we would never complain. If I really thought he was perfect, I would never question him. I would just be like, glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. That's how I would live my life. Because what? Because I believe he's perfect in all of his ways. The only person you question is the one you don't think is perfect. That's what our argument was about this morning in the music ministry. Because I thought I was perfect on the piano and I, and I hit the wrong chord. And I've been hitting the wrong chord for like two years and nobody ever said anything until this morning they decided to be holy on me. And I'm like, if you guys want me to hit a D, I'll hit a D. You want me to hit an A, I'll hit an A. I'll make up a chord for you guys if you want. I mean, whatever. The point of the matter is, I'm imperfect, right? I'm not God. And so praise the Lord that someone's like, yo, this don't sound right. I'm like, whatever. But anyway. We've been playing this for two years, glory to God. I mean, why this one? But nonetheless, it was so that way I could confess this to you today and you could laugh at me, right? And be like, but the thing is that we have, look, look, if we really believe someone is perfect, we don't question them. We don't, we don't, we don't complain about them. You know, if you thought your boss was perfect, you would never talk about them. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying. So it's the same thing with our God. If we really believe that he's perfect in all of his ways, we wouldn't question him. Have a lot more to go, but I'm going to close right there. All right? Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray together. <laughs> See, that's the beauty of preaching a series. Next week, I come back right there. Glory to his name. We'll pick up where we left off. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you so very much for this day. I thank you for your grace toward, toward me. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And, Father, on that note, God, we just acknowledge that you are the creator of all. You are the sustainer of all. You are the ruler of all. And we thank you for your mercy toward us all. Today, Lord God, we recognize that you are a good, good father. We recognize that you are perfect in all of your ways, even when we don't understand, God. Even when it doesn't seem like you're perfect. Even when it doesn't seem like you know everything. 
what we do know, Lord God, is that you are perfect. And so, Father, today, Lord, we bow our hearts before you. And I pray, Lord God, for those in this place that may not know you, God, I just ask you to draw their hearts unto you. I pray, Lord, that they would confess their sin. I pray that they would recognize their need for you. And I pray that they would call upon you, Lord God, as the great God that you are. And I pray for us, Lord God, that do know you. I just ask you that we would continue to seek you, Lord God, with grateful and thankful hearts, and that we would give you glory and honor for all that you do, for you are a great, great God. We give you praise today, and we ask you all of these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.